circuit truth for the Legion of Honor, where they ask now that uh, as we spend this time, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to hear now this word from you. And if you believe what he says, you can hear from me. Lord, may your spirit empower our pastor, and Lord, may your spirit make a fresh start. Good evening. <clears throat> Am I on now? Good evening. Good night. It's warm up here. Is this all to compensate because our heat is not working out there? Well, it could be, uh, could be a lot worse. I wish I'd have had the picture I sent the elders uh, uh, of the church in the Philippines. Um, you know, I don't know if you, some of you saw that one where they are in church up to like their waist and water. Um, but there they all are, uh, worshiping full packed house. So uh, we will have that fixed. Uh, I am in communication with the Board of Trustees for Spring Creek to get it fixed. And uh, uh, one of the, the, the kind of the head guy that's Board of Trustees, he's also one of Chesterfield Police Detective. So if he is swamped with something really important like a crime investigation, it's not always uh, the easiest thing to stop and get it in there. But uh, by Sunday, I believe we'll have, we'll have it addressed. Hey, turn with me to Ezekiel 38. Uh, we've been out of the study of Ezekiel for about six weeks. Um, in the, you know, in 2016 here, we're going we're gonna to finish Ezekiel this year, um, and we're going to finish the books of Matthew. And, and uh, I do anticipate, uh, for example, in our Sunday study, we're, we're probably going to be going to some of the epistles and uh, really look at some of the practical discipleship areas. Uh, you guys have been great Bible students to hang in there with Ezekiel, which is a, a tough sledding kind of book. Um, although the last uh, you know, several chapters as we you know, finish it out this year uh, really is glorious. We will get into the millennium reign of Christ, uh, not tonight, not next week, uh, and a little bit the week after that we'll, we'll touch on it. But um, you know, I was thinking about it, when it comes to teaching. I've been teaching since 2007 as a senior pastor. I've actually you know, taught before that in different capacities. But uh, when it comes to teaching the Bible, I've come to realize that um, it, it's kind of like mixed martial arts, uh, for those of you that like that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you, the, you have different skill sets needed for different parts of the Bible. Uh, teaching prophecy is a lot different than teaching you know, some of the books, like, like I mentioned, the epistles, which are more discipleship or not that there's no prophecy and there's a lot there's prophecy in in the epistles there's prophecy all throughout scripture but uh ezekiel is a heavy book on that but then you also have books that are heavy on judgment which ezekiel is incredibly heavy on judgment uh and then you've got books that are poetic like you know uh, part, parts of the proverbs or the psalms uh, ecclesiastes song of solomon and uh the longer you study the bible you realize that they all bring something different to the table uh, but I hope that uh, and trust that this last uh, several chapters will really be a blessing to you. Uh, so we're going to read uh, from chapter 38, uh, just the first 17 verses, uh, if your Bibles are open. Chapter 38, starting with verse 1. And uh, I would encourage you to read all of chapter 38 and 39 on your own, uh, because the three, uh, we'll do it in three sections. Uh, it's only two chapters. Uh, but uh, to understand kind of how both chapters fit together, we will touch on that over the next three weeks, but I would encourage you to read ahead 
uh, because we're only going to be able to look at tonight uh, one portion of what's taking place here, and then we'll uh, grab the next uh, part next week. Starting with verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army and horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed in great company with bucklers and shields, and all of them <clears throat> handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all of the troops, uh, the house of Tagarma uh, from the far north and all of its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your com companies that are gathered about you, and be on guard for them. After many days you will be visited. In the latter years you will come back into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which have long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend like a coming storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. Thus says the Lord God, on that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind, and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again habited and against the, uh, gathered, uh, the people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, uh, the merchants of Tarshish, and all the young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, and take away livestock and goods and great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to Gog, thus says the Lord God, on that day when my people dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land, so that the nations shall know me when I am hallowed in you. O Gog, before their eyes, thus says the Lord God, are you he of whom I have spoken in the former days by my, servant prophets, uh, by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? There's a question mark there. Father, let's, uh, let's just pray. Father, we just gather here this evening. Uh, we're grateful to have this place. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, uh, to open your word. And uh, we ask now, Jesus, that uh, by your spirit, uh, you would instruct us, you would teach us, you would challenge us and change us. Uh, we want to, uh, Lord, look forward to your return. We want to uh, know without any doubt, uh, Lord, that uh, you are already working on behalf of your church, uh, uh, moving uh, all the pieces, Lord, to bring us home uh, to eternity with you. And we just ask, Lord, that tonight uh, that what we learn and what we look at, Lord, would be an encouragement and a strength and Lord, it would draw us nearer to you, and we would be more effective in reaching and touching the lives of those around us, that we'd be the salt and the light you've called us to be. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you look at the slide that I put up here, and, and we're gonna, uh, it's going to be part preaching, part teaching, part academic uh, tonight, uh, but Israel is really tiny on the slide for a reason. Um, you know, it's a tiny little nation and uh, what we see uh, taking place here in chapter 38 
is a great, massive army, an alliance of multiple nations that are going to come against Israel. Uh, it takes place as, as the Lord tells the prophets in the latter days, God's going to, to bring this about or he's going to allow it to take place. And um, we will look at this alliance right here first. Uh, you know, I titled it The Coming Cloud, if you're taking notes. That's the title of tonight's study, The Coming Cloud, uh, because of the fact that the Lord uh, kind of gives this imagery. It's like a huge cloud. Have you ever seen pictures of like the old dust bowls uh, that took place in the Old West, just this massive cloud coming, and it's just going to engulf. And that's what it looks like is going to happen to tiny little Israel, that they're going to be engulfed and they're going to be destroyed. Uh, you can read ahead, like I said, go ahead and read the rest of the chapter and you'll see what God is going to do in the rest of the story. Uh, but tonight we're going to look most, uh, mostly um, at three different things. Uh, first we want to look at who makes up this alliance. Who makes up this alliance and we'll look at it not only from what the scriptures say but also some of the uh, historical reference points that we can look at. Who makes up the alliance? Well, the, we, we have all their names right here. Um, we have their names, but that doesn't mean that they will mean a lot to uh, people that live in the modern world. Some of these names will, will be familiar. Uh, we have Magog, and uh, it's not just Magog. It says the prince of Rosh. Uh, so Rosh, is, uh, Rosh and Magog are in the same land, uh, the land of Magog, but also Rosh would be another name for it. You know, we've got uh, United States, and you can also call us uh, America, you know, the United States of America, you do different ways to say our country, the USA. Uh, but Rosh is in the land of Magog, and so I have it in parentheses beside it. Uh, Meshech is, is um, listed as a separate uh, group of people, a separate uh, either nation or a group of tribes. You have Tubal listed separately. You have Tagarma, the household of Tagarma. You have Gomer. And none of those nations uh, are familiar to people today. Uh, no one's referred by any of those. Uh, but the next three um, are pretty familiar. Persia, uh, even today, even though the name of Persia today is Iran, many people are familiar with the name Persia, whether it's Persian rugs or Persian garments. Uh, they're familiar with the term Persia, and it wasn't that long ago. Many of you uh, that were born, uh, you remember when uh, Persia, was, Iran was still called Persia. And then you have Libya, which is on the North African continent there, right on the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and then you have Ethiopia, and uh, Ethiopia, you know, adjacent to Sudan. We're going to look at all these places on the map. But these are the, these are the nations or the groups of peoples that make up this alliance that's going to come against little, tiny Israel. But, uh, you know, seeing them listed out there tells part of the story, but when we start to look at them from a geographic standpoint and start to understand some of the other facets that go into uh, examining these, uh, maybe we can get some other clues about what's bringing this, uh, what's bringing this alliance together and, uh, you know, what, what are the things that we can be looking for in the days and the times in which we live. So this is uh, Europe, Middle East, and North Africa today. Um, I always have this challenge with two screens, so maybe tonight I'll do some of it on this side and some of it on this side, but uh, we'll take a look at both. So if you look at Europe, uh, Middle East, North Africa today, um, you have the four nations that are, well, we'll cut back to this one. Let me, let me go to the three that, that there's really no disputing who three of these nations are. Iran is Persia, right? That one's clear. Ethiopia, 
is Ethiopia, and Libya is Libya. The other one that's really not disputed among Bible scholars or anyone that has studied this is uh, almost everybody, without, uh, without exception, believes that Turkey is the fourth, and because uh, the nations that are listed there, um, are all, they all show up in different ancient maps on Turkey at some point in Turkey. So we know that Turkey is one of the four for certain nations that will come against Israel in this alliance. But then, there's this other land to be looked at, and the Bible keeps referring to the land of the far north. The far north. Who might that be? Right there. You see Moscow. I have a little red dot of Moscow right there. So Russia is not just a, you know, well, a really good guess. Uh, we can look at it from maps of antiquity. We can look at it from things that, uh, that go back well before the time of Christ and understand that uh, if, if Russia doesn't fit the description, nobody does. Uh, because then you, we want to start off with the premise that if it is Russia, what is the connection point and what would bring these nations together? Uh, because you could say, well, far north is Finland. Maybe Finland's the ringleader. Maybe Sweden's the ringleader, right? But they don't fit any of the descriptions. Uh, there's, no, there's no historical reference point to, to say Finland or to say Sweden or to say Germany. Uh, there's all these other nations that would be north. But there's something else interesting about Russia when it relates to Israel. Russia's not just north of Israel. It's straight north. If you do a straight line from the nation of Israel straight up, you nearly hit Moscow right there. Boom. When you think straight north, due north from Israel, get a globe out, look at it, and just do your fingers straight up. You'll even see it's one of the same, one of the same lines on the globe. It goes right straight up. And uh, so Russia is the one that is to the far north, straight north, of Israel. But there's many other things that we'll look at uh, beyond that. Now this is ancient Meshech. Um, if you look at different ancient maps, and I've looked at a bunch of them, uh, there's not 100% agreement where Tubal was, where Meshech was. Again, the common agreement among everybody, no matter who the map you look at or the historian is, is there's enough of those um, different nation states or, or they were more than, more than likely a collection of tribes, there's enough commonality that we know that Turkey is for sure in the mix because all of them will have Gomer or Meshach or Tabal or Tagarma somewhere, even though they don't even have them in the same place. But Meshach, and you think about the names of Russia, uh, one of the names for Magog that, you know, that's associated with it is Rosh. doesn't take much to add a little uh to Rosh, and you get what? Russia, or <laughs> Russia. Uh, but you also have uh, Meshach, many believe. And again, there's, there's no definitive uh, proof on some of these things, but Meshach sounds more like Moscow than other cities as well. So you've got some things that are, um, uh, that are possible uh, clues as well. But even without those things, even if Rosh 
doesn't, even if they don't get Russia from Rosh, and you have to study entomology and, and the study of languages and how did it matriculate down, that they would actually choose that name, and where does Moscow actually come from. But uh, each of these different areas, Tubal, Tagarma, Gomer, they make up in some relative certainty Turkey. But Meshek, if you see where it is on the map, it actually, that's about the border of Turkey, where the ME is. This right here, the rest of it, is not actually Turkey today. And it's not Russia today, but it used to be. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, then you have Magog. You know, what makes up Magog? Uh, if you look at the, in the ancient writings, for example, Josephus, uh, his Antiquities of the Jews, uh, he says that Scythia, you heard of the Scythians? They're, they're in the New Testament. They're, uh, they were a barbaric group of people, uh, much like the Goths and much like uh, uh, Attila the Hun and the Mongols and all of these different barbarian type uh, you know, peoples that when they attacked, you better be running for the hills and get away because the Scythians were, uh, were evil to the core. But uh, they made up, uh, according to Josephus, Magog was Scythia, that that part of the world where Scythia was, was also referred to as Magog. So he would have considered, uh, Josephus considered the Scythians and Magog to be one and the same. Uh, and that would be southern Russia, all, all in there, and, but also Georgia and uh, part of Kazakhstan, and then over into what would be modern-day Ukraine. All of that area would have been part of Scythia. And you can see that on the map here. I'll come to this side. See the Black Sea? You see that little peninsula? It's been in the news called the Crimea Peninsula, right? That was right in the heart of Scythia. Uh, so that, uh, in ancient times, the Crimea Peninsula was part of the Scythians and all of this area. Uh, now, also, there was, um, uh, there was a lot of uh, people that would have referred to, when they say Magog, as any peoples to the far north. So even farther north than Scythia, that uh, there was a, just like um, the Jewish people uh, often thought anything below anything below Ethiopia was the uttermost or the ends of the earth. The same would be true to the north. Anything above Magog would be kind of like the uttermost parts of the earth, because uh, most people didn't travel that far. I mean, they would uh, they would travel in a region around the Middle East for the most part. But even when Solomon was king. People would visit Solomon from all over the world, and there would be connecting points on trade routes and everything else. But So you think Ethiopia to the south, notice that Ethiopia's in this mix, right? Magog to the north, Magog's in this mix. And so they were both considered two extreme endpoints, and um, so we have a, 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 a far north position, and we have a far south position. But again, Magog, no matter how you look at it, Magog, Scythia, Meshach, they all intersect with what is today modern-day what? Russia. Now, this was Russia during the Cold War, 1949 to 1989. You guys remember the Cold War? You know? You had uh, all the Cold War music, and, uh, you know, we remember... Uh, the Olympics against 
the USSR, that's what they had on their shirt was USSR, and it, and it was before the Berlin Wall came down. And, uh, but Cold War Russia, remember, was a mass, massive landmass. It had uh, Ukraine was part of it, Kazakhstan was part of it, uh, Georgia was part of it, but then they also had tight control or, uh, you know, great, incredibly uh, tight influence, if you will, of places like Poland and Romania and those Eastern Bloc nations, and they all kind of walked in lockstep uh, with Russia or the former Soviet Union. But you notice that where Meshek was, see here? The former Soviet Union, Russia, Meshek would have been part of Turkey, but part of it would have been in what? Russia, or the former Soviet Union. That's not Russia now, because today... Uh, it is Georgia. Now, this is uh, the former Soviet Union's entire land mass. Massive. I can't remember how many time zones it covers. Um, I'm drawing a blank at the moment. But uh, you've got this massive land mass. And Russia has always been, you know, from about here north is Siberia. And they, they are plagued with bitter cold winters and uh, they don't have uh, a lot of places with warm, you know, they don't have a warm water port. That's, of course, why uh, they've uh, made some headway into other, other regions. We'll talk about that as well. But uh, over the years, uh, back under the Cold War, as well as, um, as, well as today is, uh, still, uh, former Soviet Union and now Russia today, again, doesn't matter which, whether you're talking about the former Soviet Union or the current Russian nation under Vladimir Putin today, uh, they have tried for many years now to have great influence in this box and in this box. One's Eastern Europe, whether it was Poland, whether it was Romania, even today, and if you've watched the news in the last couple of years, uh, they've, done, they've done lovely little things like uh, pretended, pretended to launch nuclear attacks on Sweden and Finland. That's always fun to kind of, uh, you know, for those nations uh, to deal with, where Russia has actually done mock nuclear attacks on, this is just in the last couple of years. On, uh, so they influence with what? Things that, uh, things that kind of work the mind, diplomacy, military agreements, a lot of financial investments in North Africa, you know, all this area here, influence. They've been working tightly with, obviously, Iran and Syria for quite some time now. This isn't new. Uh, going back, uh, those of you who remember, the uh, invasion of Afghanistan, which would be over here. So everything in that box there, there has always been an attraction from that part of the world to move south and come down and take greater influence in those areas. Now, the question is why that is, and we'll look at some things, at some clues in Scripture, but again... And I'm not, again, I'm not telling you definitively, 100%, that Magog is Russia. But I will say this. I'm as confident that Magog is Russia as I'm as confident that the wise men, the Magi, coming from the east, came from Persia and Iran. Right? Because we have, you know, just, again, certain clues uh, tell us that. So if we look at the maps, we look at the uh, information from, you know, historians, uh, this seems to be the large nation-state in the far north 
that Ezekiel is told. Now again, Ezekiel's receiving this from the Lord. It's not Ezekiel's not saying, hey, here's what's going to happen. God's telling Ezekiel, this is what's going to happen. This is who's coming together. And even in his mind, he might be trying to wrap his around, like, hold on a second. Did he just say Ethiopia, Libya, Iran, or Persia? He wouldn't have said Iran then, but Persia. Gomer, Tagarma, Magog. In his mind, he would know where these places are. That was, that was unusual because there's no kind of connecting land bridge with all of those nations. You see there's big gaps there. That's not such a big problem in our lifetime, is it? Is that a big problem today? No. no we're, we're, we're very close allies with like France or England. You know, we're separated by the Atlantic Ocean, but we can communicate in milliseconds with what? Computer technologies. We share uh, data. Uh, we have all kinds of ways that we can communicate in live time, face to face. You can actually you can actually run a military operation. We we do. Our central command here in the United States can run worldwide, live time anywhere in the world. They can actually see a Navy SEAL uh, attack take place in the middle of the night, can't they? See all that stuff live time. So there's really not any there's really not any separation now for nations to actually have some sort of arrangement and work together, uh, whereas in ancient times, you'd actually have to connect the dots of each landmass, and then you'd move forward. But this is where the, the former Soviet Union and Russia, these are the areas they've been working on in many different ways, again, diplomatically, militarily, investment, using their companies, all of those things, and to get traction in those areas. Now, here's some of uh, Russia's activities today. Now, on the bottom here, this is just a it's just a map of the different languages that are spoken, or the predominant language spoken in each of these areas. So, for example, everything in yellow here is Arabic. That's the predominant language. Um, this, these are the, Arabic, uh, the Arab nations. Israel sits smack in the middle of the Arab nations. Israel is not an Arab nation. It is a Semitic Jewish. Now, understand that Arabs are also Semitic. They, they also descend from Shem. Uh, and uh, so they're both Semitic peoples, but Israel's not an Arabic nation, it's a Jewish nation, but there are Arabs that live in Israel, just like there are Arabs that live in many other nations. We have Arabs that live in America too, but these are predominantly Arab nations. Then you have Iran, which is not an Arabic nation, Persian, not, not an Arabic nation, and you have these different ethnicities, and they speak uh, different language. Turkey is not an Arabic nation either. Uh, it's, it kind of bridges, as you, you know, look at the map, Turkey bridges Europe, Asia, and then, of course, Israel even further down, which is called, and you see this in the news, Levant, uh, that because it's the land bridge between three continents there. But this is, uh, this is Russia's activity. So now Russia sits up here, and it's not in these areas, but is always getting itself involved <laughs> in these areas. So let's take a look at some of Russia's activities. Uh, now, Georgia, as I mentioned today, Georgia borders Turkey, which is where Meshach, and then up here would be Magog, and again, over here is Gomer, Tagarma. But Meshach would be right in here, and this would be Magog. But Georgia was attacked by Russia several years back. That was all in the news, and then they pulled back. 
Now, one of Vladimir Putin's number one goals, if, you, if you've ever read anything about him, he believes that one of the tragedies of our lifetime was the collapse of the former Soviet Union. Does everyone know that he says that? He's not said it just once or twice. This is something, as a matter of fact, when he actually one time, he, had, he was talking to a man who he was asking him questions, and the man said to Vladimir, I am a former KGB agent, to which Vladimir said, there is no such thing as former KGB agent. Of course, Vladimir Putin was KGB as well. Well, he has really, he has desired that all of the former Soviet Union be pulled back together and restored to its former glory. And that would require taking Georgia back at some point. Now, you might think he's forgotten about Georgia. Do you think that? No, he's not forgotten about Georgia. <laughs> so what, what the plans are, I don't know. And I don't know that Vladimir Putin will be in power when, if, if, if the former Soviet Union is ever kind of reunited from the landmass. It may be called something different. They might just still call it Mother Russia. Uh, may never go back to the name USSR or anything like that. And Vladimir Putin may be dead and gone, but somebody, if they follow his line of thinking, would also want to do the same thing. Make sense? Just like in Iran, Ahmad Ahmadinejad, how do I say his right name wrong? Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, he is gone as far as the leader, and Rouhani is the current leader of Iran today. But Iran has the same goals of wiping Israel off the face of the map as it did under Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, right? That nothing's changed. One dictator out, another one in. Even though Iran is really run by the Supreme Khomeini, uh, and then Rouhani is in lockstep with the, with the Shiite uh, leaders there. But regardless, as of today, Russia is under the control of Vladimir Putin. And under his, under his, on his watch, if you will, uh, we have had Georgia kind of intimidated to the point of just letting, you, letting them know one of these days, one of these days. And then to make it really clear to the likes of Georgia, we saw in the last uh, 24 months here, Russia just took the Crimean Peninsula back from Ukraine and said it belongs to us after all. Since that time, there's all the insurgency that is taking place in the Ukraine, all up and down the border, and you have, and there are Russians that live in Ukraine, and there are some Ukrainians that live in Russia, uh, but again, the, the push you can see both diplomatically, propaganda-wise, and militarily is to let all of those surrounding border areas know that's kind of the mind control stuff over Sweden and Finland, to, you know, is to let them know. It's conditioning them that don't be surprised if and when we advance forward. And you have what's going on right now. I put a little, that is where Russia has put um, its uh, port there in Syria. So it has a port there for military to, and, and as you know in the news right now, uh, Russia is heavily involved in really, they're taking out way more ISIS targets than we are because they don't play by the same rules of engagement that we do. Uh, Vladimir Putin's modus operandi is if target is visible, destroy it. Well, what if there's children playing there? That doesn't bother him. That's, that doesn't bother any 
of the ancient military leaders either. So this alliance, understand this alliance that will come, it will, when it finally manifests, it will act like the ancient empires. And when the ancient empires would attack, the goal was to raise it to the ground, destroy it, and really they don't really care what the collateral damage is. But this is some of the things that are taking place with uh, the activities of Russia right now. And of course, you have the tight alliance with Iran, you have the tight alliance with Syria, uh, Iran, which as you may have read in the news this week, this may come as a big surprise to you all, Iran is already violating the nuclear agreement. I know this is a surprise, but Iran has lied to the world and is not keeping the, they're not being good boys and girls when it comes to uh, the nuclear agreement. They, uh, vi they're already violating the agreement. Our administration acknowledges that they are violating the agreement. The whole world acknowledges that they're violating the agreement. What will be done about it currently? Absolutely nothing. What do many of the Iranian so, uh, scientists speak? Russian. <laughs> many of them speak Russian. Where are they getting much of their nuclear uh, you know, intel? And, uh, uh, and this is going back years. This isn't that something just recent. So this is all very, very current. You, you know, part of Ezekiel 38, to me, reads like the New York Times. Because you're seeing these things uh, in our lifetime. Now, why the attack on Israel? The scriptures are clear that uh, it says, uh, you will ascend coming like, in verse 9, you will ascend coming like a cloud, like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you. It says, thus saith the Lord God, on the day that it shall come to pass, thoughts will arise in your mind, you will make an evil plan. Remember when um, Haman, he wanted to kill all of the Jews and took Esther and Mordecai, you know, really standing in the gap and taking a great step of courage. And uh, even today, the Jews will celebrate the Feast of Purim, uh, commemorating the fact that God saved them from what would have been certain destruction. And so this isn't the first time, and nor will it be the last time. Uh, but this time is still in the future, and Ezekiel uh, wouldn't have known exactly what all this meant. Uh, but it's signaling another one of these times that an evil plan is being put together behind the scenes by Satan himself using the nations of the world to come in and annihilate Israel. Now we know Iran's stated goal is to drive Israel into the Mediterranean Sea just to wipe it off the face of the earth. The, uh, most of the Middle East countries don't even recognize Israel at all. You know, they won't even put on their maps. There's no, there's no name Israel on their maps. If you were to go to grade school in most of the Middle East countries, you would look at them up and say, hey, what's that land? There's no name there. They don't recognize it. If they do it at all now, maybe they call it you know, uh, Palest Palestinian territory. Or, but, but again, the name Israel you'll rarely see. But the desire here is an evil plan to come up against, in verse 11, you will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages, a peaceful people who dwell safely. You know, one of the, uh, this is a good, uh, in end times credit to, you know, Israel takes um, a lot of abuse by the United Nations and everyone else as being agitators of aggression. Now, Israel's not been perfect. Let's understand that you know, they've made their mistakes. Any, any sinner and that's all of us, have all made our mistakes. Uh, but generally speaking, even, even the testimony of the Lord here is that they're a peaceful people. In the end times, God says, what the nation that resides there for them, and Israel works really hard. How many of you have been to Israel? 
All right, you're all going in 2017 if you'd like. No, we're going to try. But if you get a chance to go, I mean, you don't feel unsafe, most of Israel, because it really is, for the most part, a peaceful people. We, you know, the United States is peaceful, and yet there'll be how many murders in Richmond tonight? Or somewhere in Chicago or Detroit or, you know, around the country. So even peaceful areas have non-peaceful people. But for the most part, uh, Israel is a peaceful nation trying to be at peace, but while they're trying to be at peace, nations are trying to come up with a plan. Why will they attack Israel? Well, this is why. One, it's God's purposes. It's God's purposes for Israel. Um, God has to bring Israel to a place of redemption, a place of seeing and understanding who their Messiah is, uh, but also to bring judgment on Israel to turn Israel to him. But it's not just judgment on Israel. Remember, even in Ezekiel's lifetime, the judgment that God brought on Israel came from who? Babylon. He got, brought Babylon against Israel. But would Babylon also receive its judgment? Yes. Seventy years later, Persia would take over, and Babylon would be judged. So judgment works. God kind of gives equal judgment. You know, those of you that are parents, and all the kids have royally messed up that day, there may be a range of one of you is getting the worst uh, kind of, um, you know, I don't know, some, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, I'm going to be taking away more of your privileges because you, you did even more of causing the problems than maybe someone else. But there would be some level of judgment meted out across a range of your kids if they were all part uh, of a problem. Well, in the, in the world, God is definitely going to do a work using... Uh, this alliance to come against Israel, and but he'll actually accomplish two goals at the same, well, more than two goals at the same time, but two of those goals will be, one, it will be useful in pushing Israel to the place where Israel finally get on its knees before the Lord, and the Lord can judge these nations, and guess who's glorified whenever sin is judged? God. And what are the things that he'll be judging? Well, greed... And that would apply to the whole alliance. Pride, that would apply to the whole alliance. All of the empires of ancient, there was always prideful leaders. The message here is spoken to who? The alliance or Gog? Spoken to Gog, the leader. Hey, look in your Bibles, look back uh, at the opening word. Now the word of the Lord came, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. This leader, this world leader, he is where the, the judgment is directed at him, though he will pull together many, many people. Isn't it, you ever been amazed at how world leaders have convinced thousands upon thousands of people to lose their minds with him? You know, you look at the, the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. I mean, he really only convinced a small percentage of Germans, but that small percentage was dedicated to the place that they actually took over all of Germany from a power standpoint. You know, but again, as I mentioned, someone like you know, uh, Attila the Hun or Genghis Khan, and they would actually galvanize an entire army. And, and, the, and, the, and, these, and these armies would not care that they would maybe never see their wives again, never see their kids again. Alexander the Great would, would convince all these men to travel all across the Middle East, and hey, if you die by arrow, you will be deified, Right? 
So leaders, leaders inspire people for good or they inspire people for what? Evil. And a leader sells the vision to the people, say, hey, here's the opportunity we have. It's pride. We have the opportunity to take this vacuum in the Middle East and take it and control it. Idolatry, well, some of these nations take Iran. Iran is a Muslim nation, worships a false god. Allah is not the true and living God. Muhammad, the Quran, that's not the truth. That's a lie. So you have idolatry. Russia, on the other hand, if, if Russia is the ringleader, and I, I personally believe Russia is the, the one that pulls it all together, but nevertheless, you know, Russia, many Russians come from the former Soviet Union, just not religious at all, come from an atheist background, you know, no belief in God. Uh, there is the Russian Orthodox Church, obviously, and, and there's a lot of people that go to the Russian Orthodox Church, but they're, they're religious, but they're more functioning atheist when it comes to practice, and then you've got uh, Libya, which is most certainly a Muslim nation. You've got Ethiopia, which is a Muslim nation. You've got Turkey, which is a Muslim nation. So four of the nations are Muslim, and so they have a false god, and you have idolatry. And then you lastly have hatred, just a hatred. Iran hates, hates Israel. Hates Israel. I mean, I mean, they, they think that they are just filthy, dirty. They can't stand Israel. And there's no love lost for Israel throughout the Middle East. Libya, uh, you know, there are no fans of Israel either. Now Russia, and you've had many uh, Russian Jews, uh, they have been uh, the biggest uh, wave of Aliyah to come down into Israel because many Jewish people have felt less and less comfortable in Russia uh, because there's, there's a lot of anti-Semitism there as well that they have to deal with. So uh, on all fronts, there's hatred, there's greed, there's pride, there's idolatry, and these are the things that Satan stitches together. God's purpose, um, God's purpose for Israel, let's look at that first. We'll look at Israel's, the purpose that God has uh, for Israel in this attack. So when this, and we're not going to look at the attack tonight, we're going to look at the attack next week. What we're looking at right now is the gathering, the gathering storm cloud when Israel starts to realize this is about to go down. Or this could go down. Uh, what is it that the Lord uh, is doing? Well, the purpose is, is to look to God. God is getting Israel to look to Him for His protection. And Israel would look to Him. God desires that Israel would, you know, as, as much ingenuity as the nation state of Israel has, and it is impressive, you know, uh, what, what they do from a technology standpoint, what they do uh, is from an agricultural standpoint. And again, I've shown these slides, I've shown this information to you. Uh, it's impressive, but God gives us the ability. If you have any kind of skills and abilities, guess what? You didn't give them to you. God has given them to you. And so we can, many people depend on themselves. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy watching because I still, from my business days, I still like to watch that show Shark Tank. Anyone else like, you know, I, li I, like, I like watching the business ideas and, and kind of the marketing stuff and how they think through it. But the, the, the people that are Shark they are really high on themselves. You ever notice that? <laughs> they really believe that they are the smartest people in the room. And they're one heartbeat away from not being alive. Because no matter what gifts 
an intelligence, strength, speed, skill. It all comes from the Lord. Well, Israel, um, they, you know, they obviously, many of the people in Israel uh, do, uh, you know, they do attend Shabbat. Many don't. There's a lot of atheists in Israel, a lot of agnostics in Israel. But there's not really a dependence on the Lord. There is a place that the Lord has in their home, but there's not a dependence on the Lord. And by the way, Christian, this can be just as bad in the church. You can know a lot about Jesus, but have no dependence on Jesus. Amen? This is problematic in our American church, where we know a lot about God, but we really don't love God. And to Israel, God wants to get them to the place where they rely on Him for help. Also, to forsake idolatry and empty religion. Judaism without the Messiah, is a just, empty, false religion. And now it's not false that God is, the God of Judaism is the true and living God. But if you reject Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if you want to practice Judaism, but say, but I reject the Messiah, you have a worthless relic in your hand. You do not have true saving faith. So uh, idolatry, Israel, you know, whether the people in Israel are atheist, whether they're agnostic, whether they are uh, Orthodox Jewish and hate Christians, because Orthodox Jewish people are no fan. If you go to Israel, they're no fan of Mordecai Christians. They don't, they don't believe in that. But all of those are forms of false religion or empty religion. And then lastly, God wants Israel to turn to the Messiah. Turn to the Messiah. That The Messiah is their deliverer, not their weapon systems, not America. As Joel Rosenberg sometimes says, as Amir Sarfata sometimes says, well, they don't sometimes say it, they say it often. Both of those guys say on a regular basis, America will be turning its back on Israel. We, we will turn our back, because eventually, even in this chapter, we'll see when we get to the second part, no one comes to Israel's defense. Yahweh. We'll get to that next week. And so these are some of the verses. If you look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28 here, um, I've mentioned Deuteronomy 28 numerous times. Deuteronomy 28 is the chapter of blessings and cursings. And so God says, these are all the things that I will bestow, the blessings upon you, if you follow me with all your heart and obey me. Now, all those of us are Christians. God will bless us too. That doesn't mean we won't have trials. doesn't mean we won't have tribulations. But we will have the blessing of God resting in our life if we walk in the Spirit. Well, Israel was given the, the opportunity to serve Him. But instead, He says, Then the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and the ends of the earth, and you shall serve other gods. Now, we see here that um, God has brought... Israel back in verse 8, it says, After many days you will be visited in the latter days. You will come back into the land of those that uh, brought you from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel. Why does it say the mountains of Israel? Well, the whole nation is mountainous. So when it says on the mountains of Israel, all the nation is a very mountainous area. And God said in Deuteronomy 28 through Moses that if you forsake me, you're going to be scattered. Now we saw that Israel was scattered. The dry bones come back to life and what? Chapter 37, we see people coming back in the land in chapter 36. So all that the Lord was doing in chapter 36 and 37 was bringing them back in the land. But just because we're brought back in the land doesn't mean there's been revival yet. 
We can have the church get filled up, but that doesn't mean we have revival just yet. I'm still waiting for revival at Calvary Chapel of Richmond. I'm still waiting for revival in Richmond, and I'm still waiting for revival in America. Just because people are going to church doesn't mean we have revival yet. Well, Israel, just because they're back in the land doesn't mean that they have returned, as we see these three points here. And then it goes on to say, the curse which I have set before you, and you will call to mind. Boy, when, when the lights go out and the darkness of this attack begins to become imminent, Many Jewish people will start to call upon the name of the Lord. Even atheists in Tel Aviv that were partying all night that didn't believe in God will say, maybe my grandparents were right. Maybe there really is a God I should be calling upon. But even still, that's not repentance yet. People will, you know, you know I'm a pastor. I visit people in the hospital that want me to pray to God, and they still, won't, they still aren't want, wanting to be saved, but they do want prayer. So people will call on God before they actually repent. And then lastly, Jesus here, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you. See, your house is left desolate for you, and you shall see me no more until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ultimately, God will use all this that Israel will say, Did our Messiah already come? And should we be calling on his name? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, that's God's purpose for Israel. What's the purpose for Gog and the world? Because uh, the Lord says here, Look at verse 16 and 17. Um, so this great, you'll come out of the far north in verse 15. It says, you'll come from the, the place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people. God's taking some ownership here. You will come up against my people, Israel, like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days. So we can be assured this was not 2,000 years ago. God says it will be in the latter days. This will happen near the end. And I will, um, and I will bring, uh, bring it against the land so that the nations... Now here it is right there, verse 16. So that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. He's speaking to the leader again, Gog. By the way, God, God always holds the leaders most accountable. Many of the sins of, our, of this nation... God is holding our highest leaders accountable for them. Believe it or not, they may not know it, but whether you're the leader of England, the leader of the United States, the leader of Brazil, the leader of whatever country in the world, if you lead people and lead them in one way astray, you hold the accountability for it. Now, these, this leader will lead people not only into sin, but even to try and slaughter God's people. But he says, you'll, you'll come up against my people and uh, then verse 17, it asks the question, are you he who has spoken of former days? Now this question seems to be uh, a question, is this the Antichrist? I don't believe God gives the Antichrist. I believe the question is there put purposely, uh, actually juxtaposed there, that God is not, but he is a significant Leader. Now, again, if you study this, you will find there's books written that believe that Gog, Christian brothers that, that uh, I would have great fellowship, that believe that Gog is the Antichrist. And there are many similarities to Gog being the Antichrist, but there were similarities with Hitler, there were similarities with Nero, there were similarities with Nebuchadnezzar, there were similar, on down the line you want to go, there were similarities with Alexander the Great. You could say that, but again, the question is, are you, and it, leaves, and it ends with a question mark. And then notice verse 18, the question's not answered. 
it goes into what takes place next. We'll get to that next week. But so what are the, what are the purposes for Gog? Well, God's going to judge the pride. Whoops, back one. He's going to judge the pride, the greed, the cruelty, the desire for blood, desire to uh, destroy. Uh, I also have a question mark here. My personal view of eschatology, end times event, uh, I will show you more of the timeline. Uh, I've been studying this for you know, nine, ten years now. Uh, I am not the greatest expert on earth. There's people that are way more, you know, I, I would say, competent than I am. Uh, at the same time, I believe that after ten years of kind of absorbing it and you know, thinking about Isaiah 17 and Psalm 83 and all the book of Revelation, Ezekiel, Daniel, and Daniel 11, Daniel 12, and all these, how do they all fit together? Well, I believe, and I'll talk a little bit about more of this next week, I believe that what takes place here is one of the opening scenes to either the tribulation itself or just prior to the tribulation. In other words, the tribulation will start with one great battle and will finish with a great battle called what? Armageddon. And this one great battle at the beginning, we'll talk a little more about it next week, is actually... On the one hand, a great opportunity to bring the world to repentance, which the Lord says, so that the nations may know me, but, but because the world is not fully destroyed, it'll actually be deceptive to people to say, well, that must have been the, the battle that ends all battles. Just like people thought World War II was the war to end all wars. It wasn't, was it? Korean War started that long after it, right? And uh, so there's been wars and rumors of wars ever since. Number three... The protection of Israel and his covenant people. God says, you will come against my people. And God will actually show the world in modern times the kind of stuff he did in ancient Egypt against Pharaoh. This ought to, this ought to give you goosebumps. The world will see the kind of stuff that ancient Egypt saw. Now, if you were, many people would say, well, if I saw God do the Red Sea thing, I would have believed in him. Many people still wouldn't. They didn't then, did they? Did the Canaanite country say, we are going to repent because God smoked Pharaoh's army in the, um, in the Red Sea? Did, many, did all the Canaanite nations fall on their knees and repent? No. But nevertheless, God is going to show in modern times, even before, maybe, maybe just before the tribulation, or at the beginning of the tribulation, a great miracle from the Lord and the protection of his, uh, of his covenant people. And then lastly, uh, really to open the eyes of all people. If God deals this conglomeration, which is largely Islamic, a great blow, this could actually be, you know, many people that are, uh, you know, believing that Allah will bring in the 12th Iman and all these other things, when that doesn't happen, that they can themselves turn to the true and living God. Um, we'll, we'll look at next week too. Uh, I mentioned Isaiah 17. I mentioned Psalm 83. I want to show you a little uh, on the timeline some things that I think are very plausible about um, a couple of other alliances that are meant things that have yet to take place and how they could sequence based on what we see here and, and why the Antichrist, I don't believe God is the Antichrist, why I believe the Antichrist is sitting just in the backdrop ready to take the power vacuum that will be left after what we see what takes place next week.
Now, what are they unified by? What are these nations, what are these four countries unified by? We see them right here, the four that we mentioned. What unifies these four countries? Well, we know these four are unified through Islam. But even that is not a good unification because Iran is Shiite, Libya is Sunni, Ethiopia is Sunni, and Turkey is mostly Sunni, but not completely Sunni. They have kind of a mix. So you have, um, you have Islam, but again, they don't all get along. Sunni and Shiite aren't really kind of working well together as we see right now. This is today is the 6th. Just a couple of days ago, January 3rd, look what took place. Saudi Arabia kicked out all the Iranian diplomats. Why? Because Saudi Arabia executed a Shiite cleric that they believed, along with, I think it was, I can't remember, it might have been 46, they executed a lovely way of execution there in Saudi Arabia. They beheaded um, the great civilized country that they are, uh, but they beheaded some, and some were done by firing squad. Now, I don't know anything about whether the 46 uh, were, were helping Al-Qaeda or not, but the reality is Saudi Arabia executed these guys. One of them was a Shiite cleric. Iran is Shiite. Iran and Saudi Arabia already don't like each other. There is also, there's already a power struggle that Iran wants to kind of control the Middle East, and Saudi Arabia would like to control it economically. And then we have you know, these kind of statements down here, um, one by Britain who wants to keep the economic ties with Saudi Arabia, and we see this threatening statement, there will be vengeance uh, according to the Iranian leaders. Um, did I flip? Did I skip one? Okay, no, oh, here we go. Now, there's Vladimir. <laughs> That's, uh, he only has one expression, by the way. That's it right there. Uh, if you're looking for a smile picture, you're, they're hard to come by, but... Uh, that's his happy face, that's his uh, bored face, that's his uh, excited face, that's, all, that's really all the different emotions, range of emotions that he has. Uh, but he fancies himself, not only as a former KGB, which he was, he headed up the KGB there, but he really has true ancient military type ideology that you advance and conquer, advance and conquer. And in a day and age where we, we believe that everyone, if everyone else had football, and fun, and Boston marathons, and Star Wars, you know, let's go watch it 12 times in eight days or whatever else. We kind of believe in America that everyone else wants that too. But that's not the way Vladimir and some of the other guys around the world think. It's not the way ISIS thinks. It's not the way I kind of think. They want to bring death, destruction, and conquest. So while Americans will watch Star Wars eons of times, and uh, Netflix and all the other stuff, these guys are working on an evil plan. This alliance, they're working on an evil plan. Now, I don't know that, again, I'm not saying that Vladimir Putin, be clear, Gog is a title. I'm saying that Vladimir Putin has the kind of characteristics, but so did Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, and he's not in power now. So did Adolf Hitler, and he's in hell now, right? So he has the characteristics, but this doesn't mean that he is the guy, but Whoever it is that's going to pull them together, God is speaking. He says one leader pulls the alliance together. One has to have, have, have you ever been in meetings with you, you're really sitting, but you know you have a great leader in the room? 
I've been in meetings like that. I see, I've been in meetings when I was in business when there would be someone walk in the room and everyone, their whole body language changed. Could be the CEO of a, the way they carried themselves, the way they spoke. Everyone responded, and everyone started nodding their head, yes, even if they don't agree. You have to. Have, there's leaders like that, and some of them do it through intimidation. Some of them do it through charismatic. And the Antichrist is going to carry all those qualifications. He is going to mesmerize people. But this isn't the Antichrist. I don't believe Gog is. Again, some people do. I wouldn't dispute with people that take that view. It's, it's as far as you know, a biblical approach, there's nothing wrong with the approach. There's evidence that could take that point of view. I don't take it. But I believe this strong leader will actually galvanize and bring them together. And I just pull a quote down here. Vladimir Putin, he really, you know, he, he's already proving, again, what he thinks belongs to him, he's trying to take. Ukraine is next on the list. Now, what is the response? And we're coming, we've only got a couple minutes left, we'll come to a close here. What's the response? Well, we see that in verse 13, um, 12 and 13, Sheba and Dedan say, have you come to take plunder, take booty, to stretch out your hand? It looks like that... Uh, you know, the things that bring them together, more than anything else, even though there's the religious aspect of it, it appears to be what, when you ever, whenever you study the Bible, always go with what it actually says. Don't read into the text. What it says is that the primary motivation here is to take the plunder. Well, what does Israel now have that they didn't even have recently? Massive natural gas Massive natural gas reserves. Leviathan that was off the Mediterranean coast. They now have discovered oil in the Golan Heights. Not only a little bit of oil, it's a massive find. You know, just a few years ago, everyone thought Israel would never find oil. Not only that, for that little stretch of land the size of New Jersey, it is so productive with things like fruits and vegetables. And it says livestock. You know, Israel uses, they don't, they don't import milk because they produce all their own milk. You know, their Holstein cows produce more milk than any other Holstein cow per capita in the world. So they have all these things that they, that they bring to the table from a standpoint of, man, if Iran, who has been in a drought for I don't know how long now, and Russia, well, a big portion of theirs is under a sheet of ice for part of the year, Israel is very attractive from natural resources as well as food supplies, climate, all kinds of things. It, it's, like a, it's like grabbing a little oasis. It didn't look that way. I and mean, even, even God says, which were formerly the waste places. The Lord is recognizing that they recognize how did a desert become like this and it will become very attractive. Now, you know the story, and I'll, and, and I'll just say this quickly. You know, Vladimir Putin... What, it, when Bob Kraft and the New England Patriots won their first Super Bowl. You guys know this story? He invited a bunch of businessmen, about nine businessmen, over to St. Petersburg, Russia, and Vladimir Putin was late to the meeting as a great leader shows up to say, I'm the most important in the room, I come last. And Bob Kraft was showing off his Super Bowl ring. And Vladimir Putin said, do you mind if I see it? He looked at it, put it in his pocket, and never gave it back. True story. Even to this day, you go look it up. Bob Kraft of the New England Patriots does not have the first Super Bowl ring. Vladimir Putin took it, and Bob Kraft to this day, if, you, if he's asked about it, and you can go watch when he's asked about it on CNN, or, and he, he kind of jokes about it. And he said, well, it was kind of like a gift. <laughs> Everyone there knows it was not a gift. 
But it was a statement that what I want, I take. What will be the world's response? So again, we actually see that he, he values things like that. Whoever this leader is, whether it's him or someone else, will value precious things. What's the opposition? What's from Sheba to Don, the merchants of Tarshish, and the young lions? Actually, the merchants of Tarshish there. Well, ancient Sheba and Didan is Saudi Arabia. Right there. Ancient Saudi Arabia, the Arabian Peninsula. Now, today, Sheba and Didan could also include Jordan, which is opposed to Iran, and uh, the other nations here of Kuwait and Bahrain, and you've got, like, uh, Dubai. Uh, those areas are more money-focused, less religious-focused. That's why... Even Muslims like to go to Dubai because they don't have to act so Muslim there, right? You can kind of, it's what happens in Dubai stays in Dubai. That's kind of the way it works. So these areas are more, even though Saudi Arabia is very strict, it also has this tight economic alignment forever with New York and London. So who is the merchants of, who are the young lions and the merchants of Tarshish? Well, Tarshish was right down near here, the, the uh, Rock of Gibraltar, where you have to you know, cut through that tiny little narrow opening from the Atlantic Ocean into the Mediterranean. That was where the Rock of Gibraltar was. Well, just above the Rock of Gibraltar was Tarshish. That's where Jonah tried to escape from when he was supposed to go the complete opposite direction to Nineveh. He decided to take a ship headed to Tarshish. So is the Bible saying that Spain is against it? I don't believe so. Tarshish was another example in the Jewish time period. Magog was farthest they could think of north. Ethiopia was way down south. And Tarshish is what they would consider is what was beyond the straits there. Go past uh, Gibraltar. And this is actually a Phoenician trade map. And it went up to what country? England. That's for the Phoenicians. They would go get tin uh, from England. So you actually have Tarshish, I believe, represents... You can read the bottom there. Tarshish, I believe, represents Western Europe. And the young lions? Well, these are the European nations that were birthed from the likes of Portugal, Netherlands, England, and Spain. The young lions are our country. America is really a baby country, right? We're young. New Zealand, young. Australia, young. Brazil, very young. And so these are the young lions I believe Tarshish is Western Europe, and I believe Western Europe is where we will have the rise of the revived Roman Empire, because why? Italy is still part of Western Europe today. The revived Roman Empire, the Antichrist, I believe, will come out of that. And so you have England, Spain, and the lions, and even England still today. If you go to Buckingham Palace, you see the lion right on top? See the lion on the side? They've got the unicorn here, but the unicorn doesn't wear the crown. The lion wears the crown. Both lions wear the crown. The unicorn doesn't wear the crown. And the offspring of England, they even referred, England referred to their offspring as the young lions. In World War I, when they were asking men to come and fight in World War I, they were asking men from India, from New Zealand, from the British Commonwealth nations to come fight. You are the young lions from the regal old lion, which would be the British monarchy. So, and then Spain also has the same, they have the lion here and here in Spain and their royal coat of arms. So the European nations, I believe, are Tarshish the young lion. Coming to a close here, what is our response? Well, 
when you study prophecy, you can either get loaded down with information, you can know a lot of stuff and still procrastinate in serving Christ, or you can be transformed. Because Jesus wants us that the prophecy should cause us to look up for our, the Bible says, our redemption draweth what? Nigh. Or you can say, oh, I just like to study, I just like studying, know a bunch of stuff. What do you do about it? Oh, nothing. Today, uh, when I was, I was working hard on this, I'd been working hard on it several days, I go outside, I got to run an errand, and I look, and one of my neighbors, the ice had caused their sprinkler system to everywhere. And I was like, I got a lot of studying to do here. But the Lord, you know, went knocked on their door. I have a key thing to turn off the water, all this other stuff. And I, all I could think was that was the priest that didn't have time to stop because they had important stuff to do at the temple, like me at the temple here tonight or whatever. And, the, and I did, it, it, it took some time, and I makes the, got the water cut off and all this stuff, and I'm out there. And just the Lord reminded me in the middle of the study that we're to know these things, but to still, they should be transformed, to still love people. Not just, a, well, I, I, I'm waiting for Jesus to come back. You're on your own. That's, I mean, some Christians have, have fallen into a prepper mentality where I, I'm focused on, you know, I make sure that, uh, you know, we, we're, digging a, we're digging a well and we've got, this, you know, all this other stuff. No, your neighbors don't know Jesus yet. Our response, it should cause us to look up, but also to look out. Because God's heart here, it says that the nations may know me. This gospel will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. Then the end will come. Jesus is coming back. Our response is it should cause us to be good students, good Bereans of prophecy, but it also should cause us to love the people, whether they're Muslim, whether they're Hindu, whether they're atheist, whether they look like us or don't look like us, whether they go to Calvary Chapel or not, your coworkers, it should cause us to be transformed in our thinking. Amen? Let's come to a close. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. We pray that uh, even the remainder of chapter 30, 39 would just uh, stirring in us. But Lord, not just, uh, Lord, to look up, but also to look out to those that uh, don't know these things. And just that we would love people, but also uh, in that love, be willing to tell them of what's taking place, what will take place. Uh, what their need for the gospel, what their need for Jesus Christ is. And we ask for your help in these things. Lord, we pray for revival for our nation. And Lord, uh, we believe that if your people will continue to intercede, you'll bring it about, and we would see even a great harvest before the end times, the final trumpet is sound, sounded. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, you are dismissed. Um, I hope that was helpful to you. We've got another round of this next week because the, there's a lot more in 38 and 39. So we've got a couple more weeks of this before we wrap it up. You are dismissed.